Well, this morning's a special morning, and for that, I want you to take your Bibles and turn as we begin to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Title for today is Elders and Eldering. Elders and Eldering. Paul wrote to Titus, who was a pastor and an overseer of several churches in Crete, and he said this, Titus chapter 1, verse 5, For this reason... I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if a man is above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe or are faithful, not accused of dissipation or rebellion, for the overseer must be above reproach. As God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid or financial gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. As I said a minute ago, today's a very special day in the life of our church. In a few moments, we're going to appoint four men, four new elders for the oversight of the body here of Christ at Mission Road Bible Church. And this involves you, it involves your affirmation, it involves your understanding. And it involves your prayerful participation. It even involves your following of these men. We're going to appoint them. Some use the term ordain them. Those are synonymous. It just means to set aside. We're setting these men aside. We're going to lay hands on them, which is an Old Testament figure that came into the New Testament church, which just means to set them aside. It's a way to symbolize that they've been called by God, touched by God to give leadership. We're going to affirm their call and fitness to lead in Christ's body here at Mission Road. Now, why is this important to you? Why take a service for this? Why take a, a time out of our study of Ephesians to do this? Why, why talk to you? Why preach to you about these four men that we're going to ordain? Well, it's very important to you because you have very specific responsibilities in light of their leadership. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Elders are among those leaders, which means that they need to have exemplary faith so that anyone in the church can say, I can follow Christ like these leaders do. Even more specifically, a few verses later, Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders, obey them, and submit to them. That's two strong words. Why? For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. The elders who serve currently, the four who we're bringing on, will one day give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ for the leadership that we've given to Christ's church here on Mission Road. Let them do this with joy, not with grief. 
for this would be unprofitable for you. So the writer says one of the profitable parts of leadership is when those who are under that leadership follow with joy. But make no mistake, these four men along with the other elders who serve, watch over souls and will give an account. If the local church body is called by God to follow these men, to imitate their men, these men, to duplicate their faith, to submit and obey to these leaders, then you should have a very good, thorough, working understanding of eldership, of what an elder is and why it matters. Now, we hold here to a polity, that's the big word that means church governance, of an elder-led body. That's different than elder rule where the elders just say what they want to say and you have to follow whether you like it or not. No, this is elder-led. We, we involve the congregation in many elements of our leadership. We, we listen. We, we always have an open door. We, we want to lead and serve. I grew up in a church that was a Baptist church where we had deacons. And uh, I, I, did, I, I never heard of elders till I went to a church in California. And then when they talked about them, it felt like this mysterious group of guys who met in a, in a back room somewhere with a secret handshake, and no one knew who they were or what they did. We're going to take some of the mystery out of that, I hope, this morning. Elders were to be appointed in every local assembly. We just read in Titus 1.5. Appoint leaders, appoint elders. Every mention of the office of elder, by the way, is recorded. It recorded in the Scripture in the New Testament is plural, in the church that I grew up in, the pastor was considered the elder and the deacons were the leaders. Every mention of elders in the New Testament is, is, is plurality. Every example we have is a multiple of these elders. Elders were present from the various, very earliest record of the church. Deacons were as well, but elders were there to give leadership and oversight. Eldership could be aspired to, desired. You could, it was okay to want to be an elder, as we'll see in a minute. But what I want to do at the very beginning here is, is kind of cross-pollinate three words that we have distinguished in American evangelicalism. But if you look at the biblical uh, information on this, they're really one office. Three words. The first is the Greek word presbyteros. We get the term presbytery or presbyterianism from that. And it means elder. Uh, two primary uses of the word elder in the New Testament. It's an older man or a man older in the faith, or sometimes both. It's a title for a community official outside of the church. Someone who was an elder in a village or an elder in a city was someone who maintained oversight. They were someone well-respected because of their life and their character and their experience. No specific age remains uh, or is attached to this use of elder. It's just someone who is well-respected. doesn't have to be necessarily someone old. I heard an old uh, saying a long time ago from a very dear old man who said, it does, if you want to get across the lake in a boat, it doesn't matter how long you've been sitting in the boat. It matters how, long, how hard you've been pulling at the oars. And there are some men that have been sitting in the boat a long time. And they're not very far across the lake. And there are some younger men who have pulled hard at the oars and aspire and find themselves in the oversight of eldership much quicker. 
I won't bore you with all the details, but it's used 28 times in the Gospel and Acts. Refers to the members of the Jewish Sanhedrin at some points. It's men who are respected in a religious context. Twelve times in the book of Revelation, we hear the 24 elders, representatives of the redeemed people of God. Nineteen times in Acts in the epistles, and identifies a unique, unique group of leaders in the church. So that's, a, that's an elder, presbyteros. Another term is poimen. Poimen is the word that we translate pastor or we translate shepherd. The noun affirm uh, occurs 18 times in the New Testament. These are actual shepherds many times, keepers of animals. Christ is called a shepherd in Hebrews 13 and 1 Peter 2. It's called, pastors are church leaders called such in Ephesians 4.11, pastor teachers, shepherd teachers. It emphasizes the idea of caring for people as a shepherd would sheep. John 21, 16, Christ demanded that Peter shepherd his flock. His final admonition to Peter was, I'm the great shepherd, but you should shepherd my people. Poimen. Another word is episkopos. It's translated episcopal, it's translated overseer, rather. It's a common word for an office holder in the Greek culture used of secular officers, various kinds, especially local officials, any official who acted as a superintendent, a manager, a controller, or a ruler. And it's used as well. Now, I, bring, I tell you those three words because in our world, we typically say, well, there's pastors and there's elders and there's overseers. We don't even use that very much. And we think they're different offices. You know, Rick and the staff are pastors. Then we have lay elders. I understand that to a certain extent. But understand this. Those three words in noun and in verbal form are used synonymously. For example, in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders, there's our presbyteros, to the, of the church. Down in verse 28, be on guard for yourself, for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, episkopos, to shepherd, poimeo, poimain, the church of God which he purchased with his blood. So he uses all, Luke uses all three of those words to describe the same person, the same people, the same men. We just read it, 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter says, I exhort the elders, presbyteros, presbyteroi, among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, partaker of the glory also that is to be revealed, shepherd, pastor, the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, episkopos, not under compulsion. So, in the biblical understanding, a pastor and an elder is the same thing. And they're overseers in what they do. You say, what's the difference? Well, the only difference you can find is being gifted to teach. And in 1 Peter 5, some gifted to teach are set aside by the church to be remunerated, to be paid so that they can give full attention to the theological development of the body. That's the only difference. Their function and their ontology, who they are, is identical though. They are overseers who have eldership by age and faith who shepherd souls. So it's the same office, the same person in the New Testament. 
So what do they do? They pray, they preach, they teach, they counsel, they comfort, they correct souls. They care for souls. They oversee the ministries of the church. They steward and guard and defend the doctrinal commitments of the church. They identify and train up other elders. They are the gatekeepers and the stewards of the faith in the church. Today, here at the end of our time of study, we're going to see four men appointed to this office. They've been in training for this, as I'll explain in a minute, for over two years. That involves four stages. Let me just give you those very quickly. There are pages of documents on this. You're welcome to see that anytime you want. We have four-stage process for aspiring elders. First is view. What that means is we're looking for men who are already doing the the overseeing, already caring for souls, already leading. So we're viewing those men, and then they begin to view us. We tap them on the shoulder and say, do you have an aspiration? Do you have any desire to to be an elder, an overseer? Exercise pastoral oversight in the church. We view these men, and they view the task. If there's interest... If there's affirmation that they should involve themselves in this process, and again, there's a whole lot more of this, but just being high level. Then they go into the second stage from view to visit. This man is invited to attend all the elder meetings in order to be exposed to the ministry of the elders. Now he's considered an eight, E-I-T, elder in training. And it's, it's not that he can never speak, but basically it's just kind of listen, just observe. See if there's some chemistry here with the men that you, you experience leadership affinity with. You visit. And that can last for a long time. Uh, months to year. The third is visit, voice, visit, excuse me, view, visit. The third is voice. That means we want to engage you and talk with you in the meetings, in our counseling, in our, in our, in our ministry. We want to talk to you as we're doing ministry that you do it with us the other elders. So it's view, visit, voice, and then last is vote. Vote means a lot of things. That means they become a voting member of the elders, and we do everything by unanimous vote on the elder board. The mind of Christ is not divided, so we don't think ours should be either. And it also vote really speaks to your affirmation of them. We've had these men's name in the bulletin for several weeks now, and uh, we'll, we'll affirm them today. And it's always that you need, you're, you're voting with them and for them by your affirmation. And we've said if you had an issue with any of these men giving oversight, you should go to them personally and privately, which is the biblical process. So there's that four-stage development, and it takes a couple years, and that's fast. Lots of reading is involved, lots of meeting with assigned elders who are talking with them about their their lives and their families. There's questionnaires with their wives to make sure that we're all understanding as much as we can the vetting process of our souls as leaders. And at any time during those couple of years of training, those first three stages, especially the elders determine, if the elders determine this person is not ready or fit, we'll just say, hey, not now, and are willing to do that. And if the man gets in this process and says, well, not now, then he can back out as well. Let me tell you from experience of being in ministry, it's way more prudent to take your time in making a man an elder and appointing him as an elder 
that's a way easier prospect than removing him. So we want to do everything we can to make sure we're making those right decisions. So with all that, I'm going to go very fast. And I want to give you six requirements for serving as an elder. So you understand this. You can hold us accountable. You can ask us about these things. You can encourage us in these issues as well. Six requirements for serving as an elder. You can break this down. You can have 50 requirements with 20 subsets. But these are big categories. Six requirements for serving as an elder. The first should be obvious, desire. Desire. No one becomes an elder or a pastor kicking and screaming. I remember hearing growing up, oh, I was called into the ministry kicking and screaming. That you weren't called by God. How do we know that? Because it says it's something you want to do. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It is a trustworthy statement. It's very true. Accessible to everyone's common sense, as it were. If any man aspires, it's the word want. If any man wants to be an office in the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. You know what that word desires is? Epithemia. It's the word that we translate lust. But this is a positive. It's a strong desire. If any man desires, aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. But don't note this. Please note this. The aspiration is not to the position or the office. Let me read it again. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work, a good work he desires to do. So the desire is for the work, not the position. Elders are to pursue doing ministry. They are not to pursue a position of esteem, just a place that people can look to them with something by their name. Just like Jesus in Mark 10, 45, Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and offer his life as a ransom for many. In that same vein, as shepherds for Christ, elders are called to serve, not to be seen as leaders. I should say this, by the way, as well. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a very specific thing. If any man, it's eldership is relegated to men alone. Doesn't mean that women don't have significant ministry in the church. We, there's a whole sermon waiting on that. There's many things that they should and could do. But the office of elder and pastor and overseer has been relegated by God to men. If any man aspires. So these men start with, the question, that do, is this something you'd like to do? Is this something you want to do? Can I say this to some of you young men? Is this something you want to do someday? I, I think if you're a junior high or high school or college man and, and you're thinking, I would love to give leadership in Christ church, that is a kalos ergon, a fine work, a good thing you desire, a good work you desire to lean into. And that starts, if you want to start getting prepared for that, with the second requirement, which is character. Character. This is the deepest one, and I won't take too long, but this is the one that's the most comprehensive. Character. Character and godliness. I read earlier Titus 1, 5 through 9, which is a list of character qualities that, that Paul gives Titus for the men who are going to be serving as elders to be like. There's a parallel 
to that in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. I want to summarize those two lists for you very fast. First, he has to aspire to the role of being an elder. He has to want to do it. This is not something you do begrudgingly. Peter says we do it voluntarily, joyfully, but he has to want to do it. Second, he has to be above reproach. Above reproach doesn't mean he's perfect. It means he lives in a way that gives no obvious cause for others to think badly of the church or of faith in the Lord. He has a good reputation, in other words. He's above reproach. Then it's phrased interesting in Titus 1.6 and in um, 1 Timothy 3.2. Husband of one wife. Is he talking about polygamy and how many wives? No, no. Literally, is he's a one-woman man. What that means is he's known as having affections only for his wife. He's not flirtatious. He's not the uh, one who seeks the company of other women except for his wife. He's above reproach in his marriage. Then, comparing the two lists, he's sober-minded or not a drunkard in, in Timothy's epistle, and he's disciplined and not a drunkard in Titus. That means he exercises self-control and mastery over his appetites. Oh, he understands freedom in Christ, but he's never enslaved to any liberty. Then he's self-controlled and both list the idea of sensible. The word sensible means he has self-control. Prudent. He's reasonable. He has good judgment. He sees things as they really are. He has good discernment. He knows himself well. He understands people and how they respond well. He's in touch with lives, and he's self-controlled with what he knows. He can be trusted with sensitive information, in other words. Respectable. That means he's honorable and dignified. He carries himself in situations so he doesn't step on toes unnecessarily. He doesn't offend against propriety. Hospitable is in both lists. That means he loves strangers. He's given to being kind to newcomers. One of the things we look for in a man who who we would want to be an elder is, is he the guy who wants to talk to guests and visitors? Is he the guy who wants to, to visit people? Is he the guy who wants to follow up? Able to teach, able to give instruction in Titus. This means he's an apt and able teacher. It doesn't necessarily mean he has the gift of teaching. We'll see that in a moment. But he knows biblical doctrine well enough and is able to explain it to people. He can defend the doctrinal statement of the church. Both lists say he's not pugnacious or violent. He's not belligerent. His temper is under control. He's not given to quarreling or fighting. He has a conciliatory bent. He doesn't wear his feelings on his sleeve. He doesn't carry resentments. He's not hypercritical. Another list is gentle. He's not harsh or mean-spirited. Inclined to tenderness. He resorts to toughness only when the circumstances commend this form of love. Not quarrelsome or not arrogant and quick-tempered in Titus. That means he's peaceable, humble, lowly in his demeanor. Doesn't speak much of himself or his achievements. (coughs) He counts others better than himself, quick to serve. He sincerely gives God the credit and honor for any of his accomplishments. 
Both lists include that he's not a lover of money, not greedy or fond of sordid gain. He puts the kingdom first in all he does. His lifestyle does not reflect a love of luxury. He's a generous giver. He's not anxious about his financial future. He's not money-oriented so much so that that dominates his conversations, his affections. He's not known as a money guy, in other words, where money is really important to him. Then both lists talk about the home. A good manager of his household in 1 Timothy 3, in Titus 1, a steward, his children are faithful. The New American Standard regrettably says he has children who believe. It's, it's pistos. It means they, who are faithful, and that's qualified further by they're not accused of rebellion or dissipation. All that means is he's a good leader of his household. If he has children, they're submissive. Not perfect, but well-disciplined enough so they don't blatantly and regularly disregard the instruction of your parents because Paul says if you can't give leadership in your home, how can you give leadership to the church? Not perfectly. No one is perfect in these. Not a recent convert. That means he's mature. We'll come back to that. Well thought of by outsiders. He meets the standards of the world for decency and respectability. Even unbelievers think he's above reproach. He's a lover of good. Titus 1.8 means he's involved in doing good and good things. He's discerning about that. Upright, he cares about what other people's, uh, how, if they're treated fairly. And holy, he's a person of devotion to Christ. All that is to say, he's a godly man. Here's the most important principle to understand, though. With all that list, there is nothing in the list I just gave you that's not commanded somewhere else in the New Testament for every believer. You often hear people say, well, an elder has a higher standard of living. No, he don't. No, he doesn't. Elders don't have higher standards. They have a higher accountability to the only standard that God has given us all. Character. Third, maturity. Very simply, this is not a new convert, as I read a minute ago. It points to the need for a church leader to have a maturity and experience about life and faith that's followable. He's not a neophyte. He's not a new believer. The men we're appointing today as elders have been in a long process of evaluating their maturity, their experience, their discernment, their testimony. Most of the time, training and experience take place in a local church where a man will serve. But I, I want to give one quick caveat. Sometimes it takes place in another church that can be recognized. It's about a two-year process that these men were in to become elders. Does that mean that that's the same for every man? No, no, I... I was an elder the first day I came to this church. And the reason was I had been an elder at another church that was trusted and respected. I was ordained. They, they were able to use that vetting alongside me. So if we have men who come from other churches who've been elders or pastors, there may be a shorter way to their eldership than our two-year process. So just there's not a one-size-fits-all. Maturity, though, they have to demonstrate that they're mature enough to give leadership. Fourth, ability. Ability. This is simply the ability to have an expertise to teach and to counsel. Listen specifically to Titus 1.9. So he will be able to both teach and exhort in sound doctrine, that's theology, and to refute those who contradict. He can defend the faith. If someone's going to go tango with a false teacher, it ought to be the elders who understand 
theology. 1 Timothy 3.2, he needs to be able to teach. It doesn't say gifted to teach. That's another passage. There's a difference between having the gift of teaching and being able to teach or defend or articulate theology. It means every elder must be theologically astute enough to explain and defend our doctrinal statement. He also has to be a shepherd. We've read uh, during our scripture reading, Peter says, shepherd the flock of God among you. An elder's understanding of God and his word is demonstrated in, his, in teaching context, but it's also demonstrated in the way he counsels and cares for souls. Listen, there's a lot more time between Sunday afternoon and Saturday night than there is on Sunday morning for ministry. And most of that is counseling and discipleship. He has to have that ability. Fifthly, credibility. Credibility, which is his reputation. He must be one who manages his own household well. In other words, his family says he should be an elder. He must have a good reputation in 1 Timothy 3, 7 with those outside the church. What this simply means, if you spectrum those out, those who know him best, his family, and those who know him from a distance, see his life as above reproach. No one in the walls of his house and no one in the halls of his employment would hear that he's an elder and be surprised by that. He has credibility, not in perfection, but in progress. And the sixth, this is where you all come in, is affirmation. Affirmation. Affirmation and confirmation. Remember, in Titus 1.5, Paul told Titus, appoint elders in every church, in every city. In Acts 14, Myra read it earlier, they appointed elders elders in the church. They appointed elders. It was designed to have leaders identified. But the leading qualification in both lists and the leading qualification in our assessment, and I think it's the summary qualification for all of the character qualifications, is that he's above reproach. You affirm a man because his life is above reproach. It's not a perfect life. That's only the Lord Jesus. But it's above reproach enough where people are not surprised that he's giving spiritual leadership because his life is under that control. So to these men, who I'll call down in just a moment, I would encourage you as well as the other elders. Paul said, pay close attention to yourself and to your teachings. This is 1 Timothy 4.16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. Why is this so important? As you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. In other words, eternity. Eternity is at stake in the leadership of these men. So how does that involve you? As I said, we've been in a process for well over two years with these men. They have, been, they have met with elder team. They've met with individual elders. They've met with pastors. They've met with each other. They've read numerous books and articles to make sure they understand. But here's the question. Do you make elders 
or do you find them and identify them? It's an interesting question. And the answer is yes, all the above. We want our, our church, can I say it this way, to be an elder factory where every man is getting his character, his giftedness, his, his love for the Scriptures, his defense of the Scriptures, in line to the extent that he's elder qualified even if he never serves in the office. All of us should aspire to these character qualities. It doesn't mean that all of us, or all of us men, will end up serving in that capacity. It's a sweet and a sacred moment. Uh, in a very real sense, the, these men's lives will never be the same, and neither will ours because of their shepherding. And uh, please take as much advantage as you ever want to of, of them or any of the elders who care for you, who love you. One of the things that, that um, I want to encourage you by is every Friday morning, we have an elders meeting every week, Friday morning, 530 to 7. And uh, we don't, I mean, Ben, do we ever finish? We, 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 we never have enough time, it seems like. Um, and uh, part of that time is praying for you. We go through the body and we we talk about you behind your back, but it's all to know who can pull the best knowledge we have so that we can pray most specifically for you. And I love the fact that, that these men are committed to that. Well, speaking of prayer, our prayer room is open. Ben will be over here if anyone has a question about anything in, in your life. Uh, spiritually, you want to talk about the gospel. You want to talk about anything related to our church, what it means to join our church. Becky's coming to be with them as well. We'd love to serve you in any way that we can. Let me pray. Oh, Father, thank you for these four men. They're pastoring and shepherding of my heart, my wife's heart, our family's hearts. May this be the beginning of a long, long, steady faithfulness in the same direction of glorifying you and serving this body. In Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.